0: This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. I'm Leon Logan Nathan. With me, my co-host from far, far away, but uh, luckily, in a at this stage at least, COVID-free environment, <laughs> Mr. Peter Gowers. Hello there. How are you, mate? I'm oh, well, I'm well, mate. How are you guys uh, coping with the... Uh, Nova cash. what do you call them? No, What do you call them? The New South Welshman. <laughs> New South Welshman. The, the invaders, the cockroaches?
1: Yeah, the invaders. Yes, yes. The uh, yeah. cockroaches. Oh, look, so far so good. Although there was a case um, picked up in Victoria today from oh a, a young fellow. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't understand. I think we talked about this the other day, but I don't understand why they say, okay, three days from now at midnight we're going to close the border. That just yeah. gives them three days to get in their cars and, that's exactly what's happened, but thankfully they uh, they picked this up early and and um, they've isolated this young fella and it probably wasn't his fault either because he was only a teenager, um, but it, it was inevitable, really, wasn't it?
2: Eighty three well, cases or something in Sydney, isn't it? Eighty odd cases,
0: I believe so. Yes, yep, and uh, escalating. So- uh, Sybil, I forgot to tell you that we have to introduce you first, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that on this
2: side. So
0: that's all right. Uh, that's, that's all, all good. Right. It's all good. Uh, let me introduce to you, Peter, and to our audience, Sybil Close, the mother of Stephen Close, who was uh, a guest on our podcast a, a number of podcasts yeah. ago. Sybil, welcome to the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can talk now <laughs> okay i can talk now okay so um sybil i i only met you for the first time the other day and as i said to peter uh and and to you uh, you just you just a few minutes with you and you, you just reminded me of ida butrose and i thought <laughs> i had to get you
2: up. <laughs> have you met get- ida
0: well, all uh, the ni- all the nice things about her, Sybil. Yes. Okay. So I thought, no, we have to get Sybil on this podcast because she sounds like a just a vibrant and very interesting person, and someone who obviously has a very close connection to the Northern Territory. Am I right?
2: Oh yes, I came up here in 1962, Goodness and me. I've worked all my life, like at the hospital, the Red Cross Blood Bank, uh, pathology. In and out of all those little areas.
0: Okay, well, let's take a, Take us back to where you were born.
2: I was born in New South Wales.
0: Right, which part? Ah.
2: In the country, northern New South Wales, in Glen Innes. My parents had a sheep property.
0: Okay, is that a, that, that? sounds to me to be like a very cold place. Is it? Is it's it is very
2: cold in the winter. It certainly <laughs> is. Yes.
0: Right. Did it snow up there in Glen Innes? It
2: did occasionally? Yes, it did. Right. Freezing in the winter. We okay. had to walk two miles to school to get to the bus then to get you to school. You we, like... Little tiny people, mm. two miles there, two miles home, so we'd start at 7 o'clock and finish at yeah. 5 at night.
0: And how do you feel about uh, the resilience of children these days?
2: Oh, it's an entirely <laughs> different world, heavens above. Um, I don't think they do anything these days except have a phone in their hand
0: yes, or yes. watching
2: things like this or... Well, they're much cleverer than me. I can tell you.
0: But do you think they'd be willing to walk two miles each each way to the bus? I there? don't
2: think anyone would expect them to these days. Mm. That was the only way we could get there. So, I mean, I was when we bought that property, I was probably only five, right. and Mum gave me correspondence for twelve months because she thought I was too little. Then after that, I had to walk two miles.
0: And so tell us, Sybil, uh, about your parents. Where were they from originally?
2: Uh, well, uh, originally they were both from Glen when they met, and both on different properties. So my father had to skip across the Embraer Road over here where my mum lived. That's how they met sort of thing. I, I think they used to ride horses back in those days, even to go and visit each other. So, but... They both lots of parents. One came from Germany and one come from England. That's the great grandparents. Right. But they've been in Glennus all their life, and I think their parents have too.
0: So you're a country girl at heart then?
2: Country girl, yes.
0: Yeah. And did you have any siblings?
2: Uh yes, I had there were six of us. Two brothers, three sisters.
0: Catholic family?
2: No, not Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> not not very we used to go to church on Sundays, but it was only to talk about what the sheep were doing and mm. it was, really wasn't about going to church, I don't think. It was a sort of a get-to-get. No, once yeah. a month. It wasn't once a week. It was once a month.
1: That would have been the, uh, the cup of tea and the beautiful cakes afterwards. It would have well, been an attraction. that's
2: right. It was a chat and mm. they'd find out what all the other neighbours were up to.
1: What, um, what what sort of major uh, towns is Glen Innes near? What's its closest? Armidale.
2: Armadale, you know Armadale. Then yes. you go to Yeah. The other way, you'd go to Emberell through that way. Yep. And otherwise, you'd go up to uh, up to Toowoomba and then to Brisbane, sort of on okay. the edge there. Yeah, on the highlands.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay.
2: You weren't going highland.
1: And the population?
2: Oh, I think it was only about six thousand, seven thousand, yeah, something okay. like that. Yeah,
1: all right. It's and
2: only a very small town. It's not.
1: Will, if, um, if Armadale is being suggested as the sort of uh, the closest big smoke, then it must be very small.
2: Well, yeah, well, Armadale was bigger than us.
1: Yeah. Uh, Armadale's got, a, um, I guess, a, a bit more profile these days because of the university.
2: Oh, it's got the university, yes. Mm. But it was funny, when we were little, uh, the northern New South Wales, this is how I started my tennis, they had a coach, I was about 10, and all from northern towns, we all got together, and it was in Glen Innes for two weeks. So that was the first time I was ever coached. Mm. So we went there, and uh, I actually won the racket for the most improved out of wow. all these kids. <laughs> and then they invited me to White City to play in White City in the juniors. Yeah, I couldn't. My parents wouldn't let me go. They'd never left sort of Glen Innes themselves. <laughs> 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 Been too much to let the little girl go. I think.
0: No, that was way too much like the big smoke. Yeah,
2: oh, yes, yes.
0: So when did you realise you had a you know, a talent for tennis?
2: Oh, well, we had our own court. Probably when I was about 10 we built our own court. Uh, and I used to hit against the wall all the time, you know, backwards and forwards, and mm. it was a weatherboard house. The ball had hit the cracks of the thing and it would go over there and then I'd chase it away, I'd go again. <laughs> But I think it was just uh, there's only a couple in my family that really took to tennis. My dad used to play tennis when he was young, so he was keen on it. Then we used to have intertown, like all the little places like uh, Red Wains, Farragabab, these are little country towns around us. We started home and away matches. Yep. So we used to have two ladies and two men in the team. So we used to have one way here, and then we'd go away the next week, and that's how I started my tennis. And then we started to play a little bit in town, and then I came up here, and I, I wasn't going to play. And I thought, I oh, know, I've got to get back into it. And we did all sorts of things up here. You know, we take teams overseas. We had a, we decided we were a country team, so we we then took our country team to play in South Australia, and I think we won it against all their country places. Wow. Four four ladies, down. Yeah. Uh,
0: how old were you at that stage?
2: Oh, no, this was later. I would be in my 30s then. Oh, I see, I see.
0: Yeah, so,
2: so, when we took this team away, yeah. So,
0: when, so, so you did all your primary schooling and high schooling in Glen Innes?
2: Glen Innes? yes, I did, yes.
0: And then uh, and what did you do after your high school?
2: Well, then I was home. Dad didn't really want us to work, you know, you don't. But I thought of a girlfriend. Made said, saw this ad in the paper. She said, "See this ad to go to Darwin." Stupid nursing in Darwin thing. <laughs> and I said, "Okay." So we both applied, and then she pulled out. She met a boy or something. <laughs> so I came up on my own on this little tiny plane. You know, how, planes weren't how, that big so, in those days.
0: How, how old were you
2: then? I was eighteen.
0: Eighteen, and your parents were happy to let you go.
2: Uh well, I don't think they had much choice. What well, could they do to stop there at 18? I don't think they would have been happy to let me go, really. But I did. Away I went. I flew to Brisbane and then we went from Brisbane to Darwin. Arrived up here. At what was that trip
0: like? Was it, was it a small very plane?
2: Very slow, yeah. It wasn't. Not the big ones like they are. It took a while. It probably would have taken eight hours or something like that. You get there four now. Mm -mm. But I got off the plane and that heat just hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) Heavens above, you know. And then I arrived at the hospital, and this is the old hospital.
0: At Miley Point? Yeah,
2: Miley Point, yeah. Yes. And that was a bit of a shock. But once I settled in, I, I got to really love the place, really.
0: And so where did you stay, at the nurses' quarters?
2: At the nurses' quarters, yeah. Right. We first were put into this, it was about 10 of us came up, and we all in the one room, like a dormitory, one bed after the other. That was for six weeks for our training, right? And then we got allocated; we had to share rooms. But in when we got a bit further on, say twelve months, we got houses allocated to it. They all had slats; anyone could see through them. No mosquito <laughs> wire, no air conditioning. But uh, it, it was it was. We could just hop down to the beach, walk downtown. It really was. Quite nice, really. It wasn't right. weak. I used to sleep with a fan on my head to keep the mosquitoes off and to keep them cool. And you, you didn't, most you,
0: didn't they have mosquito nets?
2: Oh, they probably did. I didn't use them. They probably did. But I used to put a fan on my head, <laughs> blowing on my face to keep did you,
0: cool. did you Did you burn those little coils that, you know, that? Uh,
2: well, I no, I don't remember people doing it in those days. I know they do now, and I've got them now. You know, if you're having a barbecue or something, do it. But uh, we didn't, not back then.
0: Right, and uh, so so the the hospital itself became Tamira Lodge. Is that right? Is it? No, the, the
2: hospital now is. Bulldoze down. They're going
0: I, to make I, that. I know, I know. But but uh, the reason why I'm asking these questions is because when the Northern Territory University first started, it was at that, it was where the old hospital is, used to be um, in Miley Point. And so you had Lamble uh, House. Maybe
2: yeah. the uni, maybe. I can't, don't know that. Well, we, the new hospital was about in. Uh, About 1980, I think, the Darwin Hospital, where it is now.
0: Where it is now, yes. But prior to that, at Miley Point, it was a a three story building, wasn't it?
2: No, no. Our hospital was built sort of like all wards going out from a central point. I think that was because it was built in the war years because if a bomb or something came, it wouldn't bomb the whole lot. So, you know, you had the kids' wards there, the. Aboriginal men there, a maternity ward there and another men's ladies. Ward. So it was all built about seven different wards going on. I can remember working in kids' ward on my own at night with all these little babies and that. All out there on my own. Anyone could have come in. It's just unbelievable. No yeah. security, all on my own. Then they'd send someone to help me at the feed times later in the morning. <laughs> but you just accepted that because that's how it was.
0: Mm. And so you uh, you started at eighteen years of age. When did you qualify yep. as a nurse?
2: I would have been about four years later, twenty two.
0: And uh, and then what sort of nursing did you do? Just everything,
2: or well, uh, when I finished, I worked in accident emergency. That's where I liked working. I sort of enjoyed that. Uh, that I was married then, and then I had a baby. So then I went and worked in. Um, uh, taking blood in the laboratory because I only wanted to work part time and that was four hours a day. So I worked there till the cyclone. Then the cyclone came. So I had to, we went south then for about five months. This is Cyclone Tracy. Then I came back and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? So uh, I did a refresher course in nursing. And I was going to go back and work at the hospital, but then the blood bank asked me, you have to thought of working here. So I saw the started at the blood bank.
0: Mm. So
2: then I worked there for 20 years.
0: <laughs> right. And wow.
2: after that, I went back to pathology.
0: So let's just rewind back. You, you added a husband in there just by, randomly. <laughs> yeah. uh, who, who was this guy and how did you meet him?
2: <laughs> well, back in those days, sort of the nurse's quarters was the only place where there was a lot of young girls, really. So, you know, all the Christmas parties, all the bank parties and all that, everyone was sort of invited. This is the way it went. And I think I was at one of the bank parties, it must have, must have went as a group, the nurses, and my he's my ex-husband now, but he saw me at one of these parties and he asked one of my, he knew one of these girls I was with and asked her to introduce me. That's how I met him.
0: This is this is Alfred Snow. Alfred. Sorry, Alfred Close, Close. Alfred
2: Close, yes. Alfred.
0: Uh, otherwise known as Snow.
2: Snow, that's correct.
0: Now how did he get that name?
2: I think he was a blonde headed boy, I would say. <laughs> very, very good very good sports person he was. In what? He was the captain coach captain and coach of the Footy Waratah Football Club when I met him.
0: Right. So,
2: well, our lives sort of then I started playing tennis. It was all in sport. Then the Waratah Club we'd go to after. Like tennis on Saturday, I had to request every Saturday off to play tennis at the hospital because they weren't going to give uh, me Saturdays off.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'd
2: all go to the club and we'd take nibbles, and that's just where our life sort of existed.
0: So, so can you tell me, was it was it love at first sight? I mean, uh, you said you were introduced. Did, did no, you have to have no, a- it
2: wasn't. <laughs> no, no, no. He he went overseas after that, and then I met someone else. I was sort of going out with who I thought was actually he was in the police force. He was, I thought he was a rather nice guy. And uh, then Snow came back and then he must have realised I was going out with someone else and he kept inviting me out and inviting me out and inviting me out until <laughs> you know, I sort of I did again. So, now it's a few years.
0: Right, right. So, he, yeah, I mean, he—he he sounds like a, a pretty an inc- incorrigible sort of a fellow, was he?
2: Uh... Well, he—he he was very. Uh, he would take over the floor in, in, when we'd go out. You know, he had to be—I should say this—had to be put <laughs> first, and he had to be centre of attraction. And that was that. Play, playing foot. Footy, you know, a lot of the footballers are like that. Mm. They're really good. They're sort of centre of attraction, and people sort of look up to them. So, um, yeah, I, well, I'd say that's probably why we're not together. Now. <laughs> I'm not going to go into it, but I would say that mm. um, this control didn't work all that time.
0: Right, right. But you had uh, you had a few children though. Three,
2: three children.
0: Yeah, and when were um, they born? What years were that? Were
2: that. Karen was born in 68. Yeah. Stephen was born in 70. And Kerry was born in 74. And then I separated in about 81.
0: Right.
2: So Kerry was about seven. Uh, Stephen would have been about 11, and Karen would have been about 13.
0: Okay. And were you a nurse at the time?
2: I was working part time at. I was working part-time at the Blood back then.
0: Oh, I see, I see. So what made you change careers? Like, I mean, Cyclone Tracy happened. By the way, can we just talk about Cyclone Tracy? Where were you at, at that time?
2: Actually, I was, we were in this house I'm sitting in now. Wow! <laughs> and it was a very old house and just had louvers and I thought, and it was very, very severe, Cyclone Tracy. And my friends behind us, they had a nursery. They had a brand-new house, just built. And I said, you know, I think we should go down there. And by that time, trees were blowing over and it was very, very severe, and I think our roof had partly gone. And they said, go into the smallest room in your house. Fill your bathtub. So we filled the bathtub with water. We took the tabletop off, put it over there, and that's where we were sitting, on top of the tabletop over the bath. And then a great big tree came in the wall. Mm -hmm. So and I had the three kids there with me. So we moved from there, and I moved actually into this room, which used to be Stephen's room, under the bed with the three kids. And the water was running through the house by then because most of the windows had gone and everything. Yeah. I'd had to make sure their heads were up. I thought they will drown. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. So, so I had Kerry in my arms. She was only a baby mm. because uh, she was born in, yeah, she was about eight eight months. Yeah, yeah. Sure. The other one, four and six, so I put their heads on my knee so they had their heads up out of the water. But even the next morning, it was so calm; it was unbelievable. Mm. And we could see to the airport. There wasn't a leaf on a tree. Unbelievably,
0: because wow. you're in Jingley, aren't you?
2: Yeah, Jingley. Yeah, and we could see out to the airport, and everything was calm. And the news was it was going to turn around and come back.
1: Oh, oh God. That's what
2: people were saying. So. I think everyone was a bit petrified, but it turned around and come back. It was gone by then.
1: It, it had already turned once, though, hadn't it? When it
2: was the eye was there about, uh, I would say, probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It was dead calm.
1: Yes. That's when yeah. it did
2: turn and come back.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. It well, was, it was dead eye. calm. There wasn't yeah. a thing. And the Lord to come back. Severer than what it was, yeah,
1: yeah. Because because that's my understanding of it is that it actually basically defied nature to to do what it did to do the damage it caused. Was that turning was what caused the issues in the end?
2: Well, it was. It was stronger when it when it yeah. turned. It was, but it certainly wasn't a a good time. I I didn't believe a cyclone could be like that, even though we had numerous cyclones over the year coming, but they all went down the coast or went over there or yeah, yeah. Since out, you know, nothing ever happened. Yeah. And this one, I didn't believe it was going to happen either. And it was Christmas Day the next day, of course. Mm -hmm. So I had all the Christmas presents, the fridge were full of food, and I had a fridge on the back veranda, which got blown away with all the Christmas goodies in. Wow. But there really wasn't much intact, really, the next day. And our friend's house, which is brand new, their fans and everything ended up in our backyard, which is probably – A column, oh, five hundred metres away.
1: So, (laughs) at at the time of recording, we're we're now just a couple of days before Christmas, and you know, I've got young ones who their whole year revolves around these sorts of things. Can you tell us what it was like to wake up on Christmas Day? And well, I don't think
2: we'd actually been to sleep, really. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because I, I had put all I put presents in a pillow slip and jammed them in a cupboard so they still had their presents mm. but there was nothing there the next morning really
1: yeah and
2: we went outside it we had two caravans on this block because it's a five acre block so. and they were on holiday so we actually moved into one of their caravans
1: wow.
2: and then the our friends from down the back who they had three kids same as mine so we were all in there together. They were a good company, though, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> laugh and drink and have fun at night, you know. But, yeah. And I flew south, I think, just after New Year because all the ladies and kids were told to leave. Yes. So I went down to northern New South Wales to my parents' place. Wow. And I stayed down there till about April.
1: Just before winter.
2: Well, yes. Well, they, they had to go to school down there too. I started Stephen. He was four into school down there. They were allowed to start at four, so he could read, he could write, he could do all sorts of things. Then I brought him up here, and he went to preschool. And they said it's too smart. It's no point leaving him here. Mm. One one day he spent there. Hmm. So then that was in April, May, say. So. Then they, he went over to they had a uh, a prep class before you go to first class. He went over there for six months. They said, "Oh, he's far too smart." Hmm. He, have, he missed year one altogether and went to year two. So that's why he finished year 12 at 16. Oh, but I, wow. I don't think it's a good idea because he's competing with those kids that are two years older than him all the time, you know. I'm talking about in the schoolyard. Okay, oh, yes. mentally.
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah. out there,
2: you know, the kids are a lot bigger and smarter and wiser street wise.
1: Yeah. But, awesome.
2: um, yeah, well, then... Snow sort of just fixed this house and put a roof on it. So we did have a house to come back to. It wasn't too good. But, and then he built, he built a house in 1978. We built another house.
0: On the same block?
2: Yeah, on the same block, just right. in front of this house where I am now.
0: Right. So he was a builder, was he?
2: No, no, we got builders it.
0: Oh, I see, I see.
2: Uh, he was in water resources, so his job used to take him away a lot. Right. Uh, you know, looking for new water places or whatever. We're going to build dams in the territory or whatever they're going to do. And he used to bring home every pet under the sun. We had a camel, two dogs, <laughs> rabbits, chokes, But he was never here to look after them. So who had to look after them?
0: Mm-hmm. He had a camel.
2: A camel. He used to ride the camel. <laughs> but the camel got killed in the cyclone, which is very sad. Oh wow. God! How they—they they really go quite crazy, you know. Legs go everywhere, and they run and mm. got. He went. He headed for the creek, but he got uh, killed by a tree or something down there. But the two donkeys <laughs> were just running around wild the next week. There's no fences. Two emus were running around wild. This Jeez. is in Jingle-y as a suburb.
0: Yeah. So oh, then we funny. gave them
2: to Jesus the zoo. We gave them yeah.
0: And do you remember some of the people that were there around that time that are still here in Darwin? Uh,
2: There's not many of my friends that are still here. Mm -hmm. Even even nurses at the hospital, there isn't many here. But even though I I play bridge now, but uh, on Wednesdays we just have a lunch and just a little social game at Tracy Billy. But Provost meets there too. When I see all a lot of the old sisters that are still here, From the hospital, I go to probes. Mm. I just see them over there, you know, we're sort of over here playing our bridge. But but my friends, I would say there's not many left of those. All all the ones I trained with, there's one. -hmm. One one good friend of mine still lives here. But that's all I'd say. That's the only people I see that are, oh, and a very good friend of mine, but she trained in Sydney. She lives here. Uh, mm. I'd say my best friend. We go out to lunch once a week.
0: And so uh, you came back. Uh, snow built a new house. Everybody was happy, and then uh, things. I were don't think we
2: really were that happy. <laughs> okay, I okay. think it was sort of just. It kept going for a while.
0: Yes. Yes. But then you decided to part company and uh, and so what? Did you move out? Uh, I moved, to moved out. Yeah. I,
2: moved, I found a little unit over in Nightcliff mm-hmm. and he was away and I thought it is it is a horrible thing to do.
1: Hmm. It
2: really is. It was the hardest thing and hardest choice I ever had to make in my life. So I packed up my things. I didn't take anything. The kids, I took all my tennis trophies, which I had a lot of. <laughs> I took, they're mine, they're no one else's. I took my tennis trophies, my clothes, and away I went. And I moved into this unit over in Nightcliff. Kerry came with me because she wouldn't. She was four, seven she was. She'd never leave my side anyway. That was Kerry. And I said to the other two, you can come and live with me, but I'll be living in a unit. You know, they had a swimming pool, tennis court and everything here. Mm. But I And they go to school here. I said, that's up to you. So they stayed for the time being. It, It wasn't a good choice, but they did stay. Stephen came to live with me when he was about 16, I think. Um, yeah, he said, Mum, I can't stay any longer. So he, <laughs> kept, he moved in. But poor Karen, she um, she stayed the whole time. Right. And Karen has a disability too.
0: And, and she was okay?
2: Uh, well, I don't think it was okay. I asked to take her and he wouldn't let me. Because mum right. said, don't leave her, don't leave Karen. And I tried to get her, but with no success. Right. I, I shouldn't talk about this. I, I <laughs> like saying bad things, but I think he wanted this property and he thought right. that was a way. And, <laughs> and so,
0: it, but you then moved into the blood bank. What was the attraction well, there?
2: Well, at the blood bank, because I'd worked in pathology, it was mainly taking blood. At the blood bank, it was the donors. I really loved the blood bank. You know, the donors were lovely people, a lot I knew. Uh, We used to supply the whole of the territory then, just before we went national. Uh, So, you know, emergencies: a baby or a lady bled during the night having a baby, we'd be called in. So we'd come in, ring up our donors, come in. They'd always come in.
0: Mm. They,
2: They were amazing people. And we just bleed all night and all night and get the blood over there, you know, yeah. that, because we were close. The blood bank was there and the hospital was there. So it was only a matter of 50 yards away, you know. But uh, oh, it's just the people I, and, and the staff I loved working with. You know, we had a fantastic um, team with us and we all worked as a team and you had to because you're busy, you were busy, and you just worked till you finished. It wasn't something you say, oh, have us for i I'm going home now. You just don't do that, you know. Mm. Mm. You just work. Well, the same as at the hospital. You just don't. I used to always go on half an hour early and you'd never finish on time. But different today, people don't do that anymore.
0: (laughs) And so, just at the blood bank, uh, were there any famous people that used to come and give blood? Any of the uh, she can't tell you that, Leon. Oh, these t- back in those people. days, there was no such thing as privacy. No.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think there was any such thing as famous people either. Back, then. Uh, okay. We had head of departments and all this type of thing come in. Oh. I used to, I used to do most of the recruiting. Wednesday right. was my recruiting day.
0: And how so how, how did we went, that work?
2: I'd go out to all the. I'd bring them up, make an appointment and I'd uh, go to different businesses and I'd arrange to talk to the staff and take forms along and ask them if they'd like to come along and donate, you know, how we went about it, and they'd find out their blood group or whatever, you know, what we tested for and everything else. So my I used to recruit mostly Wednesdays. So we had people from all over, really, that came in and donated. We used to go out on mobiles. We used to go as far as Jabberoo. Yep. We'd pack up and away we'd go and go for two days or three days, send the blood back on the plane that night and we'd go and bleed the next day and, of course, you had to have it packed in ice and everything and send it back. Mm. So, you know, all over the place we had mobiles.
1: And most people agreed to do it for the biscuits, I take it, Sybil?
2: Oh, they come in for a coffee and a biscuit. They say, <laughs> say, the only time I see you is when I come in and donate. You know, this is how, what the people were because it, Small town, everyone knows everyone, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: And, I don't uh, know. How, I don't know if i ever went to. I might have went to Ward Keller once, and I'm not oh, sure. I went to Empty House, but why not may not been Ward Keller. So maybe thinking, one of the government government places.
0: What year recruiting. was it? That? that would have been around 82, 83 80, so?
2: Yeah, yeah. Right, would so
0: maybe Hugh Bradley. You might have met.
2: I knew Hugh Hugh because he was tied up the Red Cross too.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Um, but I, I did arrange a recruiting there at one time, but I can't, can't – oh, that's a long time ago, see. I did recruiting <laughs> every week, so I never remember it all, but I did go there once. But it was amazing. The donors were fantastic. I don't think they'd be like that today. I really don't. You know, ring them up at 2 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, would you come in and donate some blood? I need it urgently.
1: So, so that's something I just wanted to touch on because you, you mentioned before that, you know, you might have a uh, an overnight uh, birth or something and mum or bub needs blood. Uh, you know, maybe um, quite naively, I've just always assumed blood bank, people go and donate and there's blood literally in a bank version, a blood version of a bank. But from what you're describing, it was almost – from donor to recipient?
2: Most of the time, though, no, we had a supply. But say if someone needed, like, say if they were A positive and they needed 30, they mm. might use all our supply or and someone else might need them. You've got operations going on everything else. So you've yeah. got to go in and it's got to be tested before you can give it to anyone uh, yes. too. Yes. So then the staff have got to be able to test it all too. So it's not, I can remember when HIV came in in the 80s Yes. That was huge. Yes. Uh, as far as all the testing went and everything else went. And, and we thought if this ever gets out of the community, communities, it would be absolutely dreadful, like the coronavirus now, really. Yeah. It got out into our communities.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So were you there pre-HIV and yeah, then obviously? Yeah,
2: that was in the 80s HIV. I can remember that very clearly.
1: So how was that? Because, I mean, that changed the world for a period of time then. Oh,
2: it did. I mean, it was very, very frightening. Yeah. It really was. And we were really so conscious. I can remember I was tying someone's blood pack paper off one day and the tube broke and it splashed in my eye. Uh. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it, it really is quite scary. Not that we are, uh, I don't think we ever had a case.
1: Right, yeah. So we're
2: very, very, like, did you never know? Yeah, yeah. So, um but I, I should imagine a lot of the other bigger blood banks did because they were bleeding a lot more than us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and for a time there, of course, they they knew this thing was sort of sweeping the world, but they weren't exactly sure how or why. So
2: Well, this is this is exactly right. Mm. I mean, I do think now, I do think they've probably got it pretty much under control. And with their medications they've got and the education of it. Yeah. And how you get it and this type of thing, I do think. You don't hear a lot about it now.
1: That's very but true. The,
2: like the coronavirus, I don't think we know enough about that yet either.
1: Yeah, are you still involved in the blood bank at all?
2: No, no, not now.
1: No. Okay, because I'd be I interested. Tired. Yeah, fair enough. I'd just be interested to know how they're dealing with exactly that—the mm-hmm. coronavirus now.
2: Well, that'd be a diff- Well, they wouldn't be able to donate if they got a cough or a sniffle or anything like this. Mm. You've you got certain rules and regulations, or temperature, or uh, well, well, we're lucky in Darwin because it doesn't affect our population. Yeah. Down south, it would. I, I don't know quite how they would manage, to be honest.
1: Mm. We'd have
2: a lot of people off their panel, I should imagine, that wouldn't be able to donate for a while.
1: And historically, Sybil, is the NT able to uh, produce enough blood through donors to cover its requirements?
2: Well, we used to, but now it's national. National, So we're sort of tied up, Western Australia and Northern Territory are tied up together. Yeah. So where we used to go in and bleed all night, now you bring up uh, Perth. Say, would you send us up 12 O negatives mm. or 28 positives and, or something like this? Or If we had anything to spare, we'd probably give it to them too. Mm. But that's where it's sort of... Uh, you don't have the same emergencies like we used to have. Right? We used to. It could be in Gove. It could be in Alice Springs. We used to. It would be in Catherine. We used to supply the lot. Mm. So it was sort of huge.
1: I had a friend involved uh, in the logistics side of this, and he explained to me uh, once upon a time that yeah, because when you talk about. Uh, you know blood requirements, and if you're needing to get blood from Perth, for example, uh, in the case of an emergency, um, it was amazing just hearing how quickly they can get these uh, uh, to get these uh, donations to be moved around the country.
2: Well, see, they're two hours behind us too, which is good. Uh, and then once they got it to the airport, it'd be packed up. With the ice, put yep. it on the airport, and then we'd, as soon as the plane landed here, we'd go and collect it. Mm. So, you know, you're probably within eight hours, you'd probably have it. Yeah,
1: wow.
2: Which is pretty good. But then if we're bleeding it here, it's still got to be tested. So, you know, it's probably within that same amount of time to okay. get it to that person, too.
1: Yeah, right.
2: But we would, we would probably still be bleeding excess here if we're still getting it from birth too. That's how yeah, that okay. you just help
0: us through. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: uh, and and so
0: you've you've retired since. I mean, what, what year what year was that? Did you retire? What
2: happened? Why I retired in the end? Because I got chronic hand dermatitis. Mm. That's what put me out. And it was so bad. It just itched twenty four hours a day. went on and on and on.
0: From what though, Sybil?
2: From the trolley I was using, nickel. It's from Nickel. Ah. The trolley I was using because I was working in um, uh, pathology then, the trolley I used to go from patient to patient, wash your hands on the trolley, wash your hands, you know, wash your hands everywhere. You look sideways in hospitals these days. So your hands get moist and I must absorb the nickel. Wow. So that, for about 15 years... It was so bad, I said, look, I don't think I can bear this any longer. This is just really getting at me. And I was going to a a top specialist in Brisbane, uh, and he said, oh, look, we'll try this drug that they have overseas. we have to get it through the TGA. So he must have heard about it through their conferences or whatever else. Maybe they had someone, I think they gave it to... um, AIDS patients, I think I'm not quite sure, mm. but anyway, we got the drug in. It was, I don't know, it's a huge price, about twelve thousand for forty or something. And I took it within two weeks. You can't believe that itch had gone, uh. and my hand started to come good. And then I kept taking it, but then, what happened? It was, like the doctor said, it's like a low dose of chemotherapy. Mm. I took for 12 months, with knocked out my immune system. So I've got to be very, very careful, like the coronavirus. I wouldn't want to get near anyone or anything like that now. Yeah, very yeah. careful what I do.
0: So your wow. immune, immune system is
2: completely compromised? Well, it's compromised, but I don't know. Well, I've, I've got to clean my eyes. My eyes, so every night, twice a day, I clean my eyes. I've got to clean my mouth because it goes thrush. So that's twice a day too. So this, I said, it's going to go on forever, I said to the doctor. Who can I go to? Mm. There, isn't, there isn't any treatment. You can't do anything.
1: Mm.
2: Just up to me now, I have to do it. i got like <laughs> the doctor, no, I had a phone call because I didn't go down because of coronavirus. I said, the only person that can fix me is me, and I will have <laughs> to handle it. I will have to <laughs> handle it because there isn't any treatment for it.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't improve over time?
2: No, no, it's, I think it's getting worse, to be honest. Ah, that's but amazing. It's something I, luckily, I manage it.
0: Yeah. Do you know anybody else with that condition?
2: I don't know personally anyone else, but when I remember working at the hospital, this is years ago, I remember we used to have these very sick old patients and I used, used to clean their mouth all the time. But they call this Shrogans, Shrogans, which I had never heard of which now that's what they say, this immune thing, it's Shrogan's disease. But it makes me think, and I don't know whether it's right, whether these people may have been on a drug and why they were getting, because normally your mouth cleans itself, you know. Yeah. And we used to have to clean them twice a day, their mouths, because they used to get so dirty. I wondered if it was the same thing, but I've never really spoken to anyone to really, to know, but that's just my opinion I was thinking mm. about. But I don't know personally. I have heard of people that have been on chemo, this has happened to. See, that's yeah. one of the side, side effects of chemo. Uh, but I don't know anyone personally. But then they've got cancer. So what what do you think? Better to be alive?
0: Mm. I think so.
2: Yeah, well, that that's what you've got to look at, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: So, Sybil, um
0: Just reflecting back on your life in the Territory, of which you spent obviously most of it, uh, what have you seen change over that time?
2: Oh, huge. Huge amount of change. When I first came up here, you wouldn't lock your cars, you wouldn't have to lock your house, you know, nothing like that. Then the cyclone came, and after the cyclone, everything changed. I think they got all these people sweep in. Uh, I I wouldn't say they're the bad people. I think Aboriginals weren't allowed to drink. They weren't allowed to drink in the hotels then, Then they were allowed to drink. And I think this is where our problems started. Because we've got a dreadful lot of uh, thefts and house break-ins and that now. It's, It's unbelievable. I don't think anyone would go out without locking their house. I have three locks on my house door, you know, but then we wouldn't worry about it back in those days. But then the population was a lot smaller too.
1: But mm. that—that's the
2: biggest change is probably the crime and everything else that goes on. Mm. Uh, I think the health-wise, our health, as far as services have improved a huge amount. But mm. when I first come up, you know, they're out on all the um, Aboriginal settlements. that There was no doctors or nursing staff or anything, and they used to all come in. They'd all have diarrhoea, you know, so you'd get them fixed up, you know, uh, cure them of that. And then you'd have to uh, fatten them up and get them healthy before you'd send them home again. Well, I don't think that happens so much because I think they have more care out there now with doctors and nurses that Mm. intervene a lot more. But back in those days, there wasn't anyone out there. Uh, you know, as far as the babies go, you know, then they the nurses make sure they have clean milk and all this how to sterilize things and all this type of thing. Uh health-wise, I think we're much better off. Um well I think we're very, very lucky, to be honest, to be living in the Northern Territory. I, I love the Northern Territory. I just could not imagine, could not imagine going back living in the country now. Mm. Um And even the cities are probably too big for me, I would say, you know. i I got a daughter that lives in Brisbane. She said to me once, come down and look after the children. I said, no way I would go down there and drive. No way, you know, and be responsible for two kids. No way. Yeah, I'm not good at finding my way around anyway. That's something I'm not good at. Uh, you tell me to go there and go there and go there, I'd have to study it all before I go. I'd get lost. <laughs> but that's why I'm here I know where I am and I know what's going on. That's okay. So if you sent you- me out to Parmesan, I don't think I'd be very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so so, what do you love about the territory, Sybil?
2: Well, I love our lifestyle, like my friends, you know, we just meet up, have lunch, bring up, have a chat. Um it's close and handy, my kids are easy to get to and talk to, and oh, it's just a freedom, I think. You know, we're fairly easygoing, we are in the territory. You must know that uh, there's no sort of um, discrimination, I don't think, really. I think we're pretty pretty good up here as far as that goes.
0: Mm. I mean, how, what do you compare that to? Why do you feel? Well, I'm that-
2: just comparing where I was brought up and to the cities I have spent some time in. Mm. You know, you've got the elite there and you've got the workers and then you've got this. There is sort of discrimination. But here I don't think you'd ever know who was rich and who was poor, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, you might live in Fanny Bay or you might live on East Point Road or something, you know, you might have a great big house, but no one tends to worry too much about it.
0: No. True. So I think down south, south they do. Right. They what do. about in, what about in Glen Innes?
2: Uh, well, we were country people, so you know, you just uh I don't think there'd be much discrimination. We used to have the actually the um, there was some Aboriginals there that lived in the common. We used to employ them to pea pick and corn pick and do things like this. But, uh, I mean, they would work. You'd probably feed them too uh, and pay them. But I don't think anyone, I suppose there was a bit of discrimination. I I should imagine there probably was. Mm. Uh, I think you probably wouldn't ask them to come and sit at the dining room table, put it that way.
0: Right. And and so do you feel that uh, things were better for Aboriginal people during your early life in Darwin compared to now?
2: Oh, no. Well, I think the problem is, I, I this is only my personal opinion, yes that they haven't had to really work for a lot and appreciate what they've made, you know, except they're always told your health's free, everything's free, and that everything's there. And if you're not brought up to work and earn your living, what have you got to uh, be really cried about, really. I think that is the problem, but I don't know. I'm only a single little person out here. I think they get given too much. I mean, I think they're the most beautiful kids. I used to look at them and think, oh, look, the big eyes and that lovely curly hair. and They really are. They're clean and clean, clean them. They're beautiful kids. But I, I don't know what the answer is myself either. Well, if I was in charge of it and had to do something, I don't know what the answer is. You tell me. I have no
0: idea. No no one's
2: found the answer yet.
0: (laughs) Did you ever spend any time with any of the politicians here uh, at
2: all? Uh, Well, I know them. I know a lot of them. Uh, My best friend, her husband was a senator. Who was that? Sandy Campbell was my best friend. Oh. Her husband, Grant, was a senator up here. So, um, yeah, I've I've always been interested in people. But I was brought up in the country, typical CLP. You would never be anything, and a lot of nurses and teachers are labour, but you would never be anything except CLP. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way we were brought up in my household, see?
0: Right.
2: But uh, I don't care who they are. I don't know what the answers are. Whether they're labour or CLP, no one seems to have the answer there what, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Right. You tell me. I don't know. We're in so much debt at the moment. I what's <laughs> That's going to true. happen?
0: It's a very uh, astute comment there. Silvia. Yeah,
2: well, we are, but I don't like. I, I I don't know the answer.
1: Do you have any thoughts on the ban on the NT Independent?
2: On the ban?
1: Yeah, the current government's ban on letting the NT Independent newspaper attend press conferences.
2: Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Okay, I missed that. Mm. Well, why?
1: Well, we're trying to get to the bottom of that, Sybil. But uh, the the current government states because the the owner uh, has a mischievous Facebook page that that uh, says silly things, which by all accounts it does. But yeah, he's he's decided that uh, as he's a res- banned. Yeah, so he's banned from attending press conferences.
2: Do you ever follow the American politics? <laughs>
1: well, then, the,
2: you would, then you would have some problems.
1: Yeah, it, 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 does, it does smack of that. That's, that's one of the things that uh, I think about a lot is well, we've just gone through four years of that.
2: It could be spreading, see. This is the mm. thing. It starts no matter where it is in the world and these things spread. Yeah. But I, I hadn't heard that, but that's – ridiculous. if you can't have free speech, what can you have?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're, spring, you're singing to the choir here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I just think everyone is free. I don't care what their opinions are. I mean, I, I don't know whether I've had any really close friends in the Labor Party, but I would <laughs> uh, I would understand that. I wouldn't say I'm not your friend, which yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. I'm not yeah. like that. I think it <laughs> doesn't no matter who you are. You're entitled to have your own opinion on it.
0: Um, Sybil, so, well, you, you mentioned earlier on in the conversation that uh, one one side of your family is German.
2: Yeah, and the now, other.
0: we know that uh, Snows either both one or both sides are German, very German. Yeah, uh, your, your even your surname Klose is, yeah. is definitely German. Uh, did you ever have any? Um, was there ever any discussion or commentary about your German heritage in the context of World War Two?
2: Not as far as we were, but I think there, where Snow come from, that all well, those South Australian dreams, there was a dreadful lot of talk. We weren't, no. Right. My, my, I was Hamel before I got married. Oh. That's mm. a German name, Hamel. But none of those, we didn't uh, live in groups like, like how the Germans sort of lived in different towns like the Barossa Valley and Mm. get the other names of towns where they all grouped together. Handorf, Handorf, (laughs) yes, yes, that's right. There's a lot of them down there.
1: That doesn't sound German at all. (laughs) (laughs) uh,
2: But I wouldn't, they they were a lot closer than, like, my family had never mentioned whether they're German, English, anything else. Mm. I just know my great, Great grandfather came from Germany. That's all I know. And they were mm. worked on the land, so they came out here as farmers. So you know they didn't come out here to, to form a little town for themselves or anything, you know. So, mm. but I think that's why they had the problem in World War II in, in those towns in South Australia. Yeah. But i would never spoke about. I'd never thought about it because if I meet people, whether whatever nationality they are. I meet them as I are. They're nice people. I like them. So it doesn't really matter to me whether they might be Italian, they might be from Greece or wherever they're from. I've mm. met some lovely people from all those places.
0: Hmm. Well, it sounds like you've uh, you've lived a, a very interesting life, Sybil, and, um, you know, growing up or, or at least, you know, learning, uh, living in the territory in the 60s and 70s uh, sounded like, It was really fun times.
2: Very, very intriguing place. But I still think we're better than anywhere else. That's how much it has grown on me. I Mm. mean, with my sport and my children and I could manage it all and work and everything sort of fit into place, you know?
0: Yes, yes.
2: So, uh, I mean, I, I think... Being divorced is not a a great thing in your life. I really don't. I think it was a very difficult time for me, but I had to accept, where am I going? Where am I heading in life? And I made that decision and I had to stand by it. Uh, Actually, we're friends now. We're friends now. You know, I pop in, have coffee and do everything like that, but we certainly weren't friends there for a few years. But Still, life has to go on, doesn't it, really?
0: Yes. It does. Well, Sybil, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, okay, sharing, been... sharing your uh, your story. Yeah. Um, it is a unique story, uh, I have to say, uh, as all stories on the Territory Story podcast are. Um, I don't think we've had anyone from Glen Innes, although we I, I bet you wouldn't. Robin Lamley, I reckon, would have been pretty close to that spot. Oh, yeah, it's a good you point. you
2: reckon she'd be from there?
0: Uh, I've I never heard of that. No, I, I don't
1: think it was there. I think it was a bit, little bit north. north. Yeah, further north. But not far, not far. We talk about Armadale oh, a lot. Yeah. With Grafton, perhaps. So i got to go
2: Grafton, there. well, that's there too. Uh, Grafton, Tamworth, all those little towns. Like I said, for yep. my tennis coaching, they were all chosen from these little northern towns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why they chose Glen Innes is that, uh, where the coach was going to come because he was from Sydney yeah. and collected all these, I suppose, twenty kids. I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve. You know, mm. but right. you think they would have gone to Armadale or Tamworth, <laughs> would you, rather than <laughs> coming to Glen Innes? <laughs> yeah. We were probably the smallest, but we might have been more central.
1: I was, yeah, I was going
0: to say you're probably in the middle of all of them.
2: Yeah, middle of
0: them. Mm. Mm yeah so um look it's it's uh, it's lovely to have your story. you know it, it then informs us that uh, about the territory, about the fact that the territory is just made up of a patchwork quilt of people from all over mm. Australia and the world. It
2: is. Well they were you when you know all the people and all the nurses all come from somewhere. they don't hardly the any of them born and bred. There's more born and bred now yes.
1: yeah.
2: when we stayed than there ever was then, except yes. for the Aborigines. Of course, they've always yes. been here. But uh, a lot of us that worked here, we got married and we stayed here. Mm. But then a lot of my friends left here too, and a lot are still leaving too. You know, I don't know whether they want to be closer to home or they they find the weather a bit bad in the in the wet season, but then you're not going to get the... You know, you've got the winter down south, so
1: exactly.
2: where are you going to go? (laughs) And I've got air conditioning. If you've got air conditioning, you really have no (laughs) no drama. (laughs) Except we used to play tennis and all this, I mean, the whole year round. So it it never, ever concerned me, really.
1: You didn't say it before, but I know that you meant that all the kids are soft nowadays, so. um.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well. Okay, you know it's like I used to run five k's every night. just when I played sport, you had to to be fit. So I, I wouldn't run the five k's because I couldn't run 5 I'd run as far as I could, then I'd walk, then I'd start running again till I finished my five. I set out this five k track, and then I would just do that and I used to time myself to try and improve myself all the time. But you don't even think of the heat. You really, you know, if you're playing sport, I mean, even playing tennis, I used to get so sunburned in tournaments when you used to have to play all the time, and I used to get cold sauce every weekend after a tournament. I had these cold source, you know, the, the mm. heat and the blisters. But uh, I, th- I think the kids today, they probably play in the cool of the afternoon rather than playing in the heat of the day because mm. people are so conscious. I've been sunburnt now, you know, putting on sunscreen. We never wore sunscreen.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: I never – some people used to put Vaseline on their lips and things like this, and I've yep. dreamt of to doing that, but these days they would.
1: Yeah, they used to um, – back where I came from originally, they used to put uh, baby oil on their skin before they'd go to the beach.
2: Well, they want to get a tan. That's why they do that. <laughs> Times have changed, haven't they? <laughs> well, I used to. We used to run down from where I used to, from the hospital. We used to have nurses walk down to the beach, like you know, broken shifts. I'd go down, sunbake for a couple of hours and run back again. Wow. But we used to put oil on too to make it <laughs> get a nice tan. Yeah. But it amazes me. Here I am my age and I've got no cancer.
1: Mm. Yeah, that is amazing. That's a good. Isn't it thing? Amazing.
2: It is so amazing. And mm-hmm. I had really fair, like when people say, you've got skin, features, and cream. What are you doing up here? Yeah. But it didn't, it didn't affect me. Oof,
0: oof.
2: But anyway, so that's, that's probably luck. Or probably in my genes.
0: Well, thank you, Sybil. I'll, uh, I'll hand it over to Pete.
2: Okay. Thank-
1: Thank you, Sybil. Appreciate your time. That was Sybil Close on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time.
2: You've been listening
1: to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your
2: local digital marketing agency.